Right now, Wall Street is so worried about the jobs report that's supposed to be coming out this Friday, which is virtually tomorrow. And today, there's so much news happening right now that we actually are going to have to have a double podcast segment today in order to cover everything that's happening. Little side note, if it's if my voice doesn't sound as good as it normally does, is because I am currently in the post end of a cold right now. So... And I wanted to be able to record as record today so that I can get the news out there to you guys. So bear with me if you if you can today. But Wall Street is freaking out about the jobs report coming out this Friday. At least that's what they're talking about on Wall Street the most. And there's other news that they're talking about as well. But some events we need to talk about. We have some more news in the oil industry. The Russian uh, gas, no correction, the Russian... The Russian cap on oil is supposed to be uh, kicking in soon. And so we'll talk a little bit about the oil industry and what's going on and how it also relates to Joe Biden potentially thinking about releasing more oil reserves in the making, but not just any oil reserves, okay? Then we have some news from Kroger. Kroger released earnings. They did pretty well as a company, which is in line with what Walmart did recently as well. And we have some news from the baby formula shortage. There's n- more updates from a company named Reckit who believes that the shortage is going to last for a little bit longer than we would like. Okay. Then we're going to end today talking about the FTX incident that has been happening recently. It's the first time we'll be covering it here on this podcast. And we're also going to be talking about how there's layoffs happening at a crypto company currently right now. So with that being said, I have to remind you all that I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing as you're not guaranteed to make money when you invest in the stock market. Please also note too that I legally cannot give you financial advice and you need to go talk to your financial advisor before making any investment decisions as this whole podcast is for information and entertainment purposes for those who wish to listen. I legally cannot give you financial advice. With that being said, let's begin today's discussion with news articles. Russian oil sanctions are about to kick in and they could disrupt markets in a big way. From CNBC, upcoming sanctions on Russian oil are set to be really disruptive for energy markets in Europe in European nations failed to set a cap on prices analysis warm. The 27 countries of the European Union agreed in June to ban the purchase of Russian crude oil from December from December 5th. In particular terms, the EU, together with the United States, Japan, Canada, and the UK, want to dramatically cut Russian oil revenues in a bid to drain the Kremlin's war chest following its invasion of Ukraine. However, concerns that a complete ban would send crude prices soaring lead the G7 to consider setting a cap on the amount it would pay for it. An outright ban on Russian imports could be really disruptive to markets, according to Henning uh, Glostein, Director of Energy, Climate, and Resources at Political Risk Consultancy Eurasian Group. The potential for rising prices is why there's pressure from the U.S. to agree on a cap, they told CNBC on Wednesday. The price limit would see the G7 nations buy Russian oil at a lower price in an effort to reduce Russian oil income without raising crude prices across the globe. However, the EU has been in dispute for several days over the right level to cap prices. We're not going to talk about the right level to cap it out. Actually, we should, because there is one part of that article that's important to know. It says, a proposal discussed earlier this week suggests they limited it to $62 a barrel, but Poland, Estonia, and Lithuania refused to agree on it, arguing it was too high to, to dent Russian revenues. These nations have been among the most vocal in pushing for action against the Kremlin for its aggression in Ukraine. Of course they would be. I mean, freaking Russia's on their Russia's on their border for crying out loud. Continuing on, which is important to know in this article too. It says here on Wednesday, Russians oil trade at about $66 a barrel. Officials at the Kremlin have repeatedly said a price cap is anti-competitive and they will not sell their oil to countries that have implemented the cap. Okay. You know, 
The only thing I'm going to say about this right now, because there is one more segment we've got to cover in this article about Russia, is, you know, Russia is still going to be sending oil over, in all honesty, okay, to other countries. They will, because it says here from China and India, it says both nations stepped up their purchase of Russian oil following Moscow's invasion of Ukraine, benefiting from the discounted rates. Their participation is seen as an estimate and restrictions on Russian oil are to work. Quote, China and India are crucial as they buy the bulk of Russian oil, said senior fellow at the uh, Peterson Institute for International Economics told CNBC. And there's a quote from their leader in Russia, uh, no, in India. He says the prime, the Indian's petroleum minister says, quote, it is his moral duty to his country consumers. We will buy oil from Russia and we will buy from wherever he added. Okay. You know, I mean, they're not committing to a cap too. That's what it boils down to both India and China. Okay. They're not going to at the end of the day because they need to consume oil. And they're kind of, those two countries are kind of having to buddy up with Russia at the end of the day. We've talked about this a lot. And it just seems like no matter what, this is a lose-lose situation making, okay? Because Russian oil is still getting out to the United States in some way, shape, or form. And we'll talk about a little bit more about that in a second. But, I mean, China and India are not going to support a price cap at all. They're not. It even says in this article that they're not going to at the end of the day. And if you're not going to have two big countries that are right next to Russia support it, well, India, I don't believe, is right next to Russia as much. But if they're not going to support it, then there's almost no point of having it currently right now. But this is where things get interesting on the political side. White House weighs future releases of emer emergency heating crude oil reserves as winter nears. From CNBC, the Biden administration is considering tapping additional reserves of heating and crude oil as winter nears the uncertainty over market prices worsens, according to four people familiar with the matter. The U.S. currently holds about 1 million barrels of heating oil, a form of diesel fuel, used primarily to heat homes. In three commercially leased locations in New York and Connecticut, the White House is weighing whether to call on Congress to raise the storage limit, potentially doubling it to build additional reserves, and administrations could release the supply tightenings or prices rise again, according to two sources familiar with the matter. While improving indus industry-held field inventories are still below average, and the administration continues to engage with the industry on, take on asking them to increase the fuel stock, the Department of Energy said in a statement to CNBC, the administration continues to work with lawmakers and industry to identify all options that can help American consumers. Industry heating oil inventories have risen slightly in recent weeks, now sitting about 10% below the five-year average, according to Energy Information Administration. But with a 54% jump in heating oil prices in the last year, any hiccups in the supply can mean a headache for consumers. Crude oil, meanwhile, has dropped to prices last seen in early 2022 before Russia invaded Ukraine, leading to speculation the administration could move to replenish the stock, which stands at half the total capacity of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the lowest level since the mid-1980s. It says here, but the White House is bracing for potential price spike with the European oil embargo and the G7 price cap on Russian oil possibly disrupting supply when they go into effect next week. Two senior administrations officials said the option remains open to release additional oil from the reserves in early 2023. Quote, I think we want to make sure that we take the right steps in a measured way. Senior energy advisor of President Joe Biden said on CBC Squawk Box, Squawk Box the goal is has been consistent to have prices that are fair for the industry, but fair for the consumer as well. I'm going to end it with this right now, with the oil segment right now, okay? There is a YouTube video, and I would highly advise a lot of you to go listen to it. I think you can type in like Russian oil and Italy or something like that. And it's from the Wall Street Journal. And it's like 
There's a loophole that's being used right now. I don't know if we've mentioned in this past podcast, but we will mention in today's podcast. There's a loophole right now in the oil industry right now, which is when you ship oil from one country to another and it gets refined in that country, that becomes that new country's oil. Okay. So for instance, right now, what the Wall Street Journal is reporting is that Russian oil is being shipped to Italy and there's like an oil company called like Luca Oil or something like that. And Luca Oil refines the Russian oil. And as they refine the Russian oil, it goes from Russian oil to Italian oil. Okay. So on the East Coast right now, there is oil, Russian oil, technically in regards where it first originated from, that is going into the cars in the United States for the people on the East Coast currently right now. Okay. Russian oil is still going to get in the market any way, shape, or form. The price cap means absolutely nothing in my opinion. All this does is causes more chaos in the oil markets, which means Wall Street's just going to have a fun time with being able to just continue to bet and gamble on what the oil markets are going to be doing going forward. But, I mean, at the end of the day, these loopholes are causing issues. Politicians mean absolutely nothing to me at this point. Everything they talk about means nothing when these news reports come out. And we just thought we'd let you all know of what's potentially coming. I still think oil prices are going to be on the rise for other reasons, obviously, that I've talked about in past podcasts. I would advise to go listen to those. But yeah, it's things are getting chaotic. Continuing on, Kroger hikes forecast after strong grocery sales top estimates. Kroger on Thursday raised its forecast for the year after strong fiscal third quarter sales topped Wall Street's expectations and inflation continued to push up prices. Shoppers pay for milk, eggs, and other groceries. Kroger CEO Rodney McMullen said the company is attracting shoppers by offering value. In the news release, he said that it is resonating with shoppers and, and driving increased customer loyalty with its private label grocery brands, affordability, fresh foods, data-driven promotions, and fuel rewards program. Here's what Kroger reported for the three-month period ended November 5th compared to the definitive consensus estimates. Earnings per share is 88 cents adjusted versus 82 cents expected. Revenue is at 34.2 billion versus 33.96 billion expected. Grocery has been a strong driver of retail sales as inflation hovers near four decade highs. As some shoppers skip over big ticket items or pullbacks on discretionary purchases, retailers that sell food and necessities have attracted a steadier stream of customers. Walmart, the country's largest grocer by revenue, also raised its full year outlook after reporting a strong third quarter. The big box retailer said it also lowered price groceries drew more shoppers, including a growing number of families with an annual household income of about 100000 a year. Kroger identified sales rose 6.9%, excluding fuel, in the third quarter. The industry-specifically metric included sales at supermarkets that have been operating continuously for at least 15 months. That exceeds expectations of 4% growth. Okay. Later on in the article, it talks about how companies like Target and Kohl's are being hit hard, which makes sense for Target because Target, at least... If you've ever been in a Target store, Target doesn't have a big section when it comes to groceries. And if you actually look at where they make most of their money, if I'm not mistaken, it's not in groceries. It's in everything else. It's in decor. It's in the electronics section at Target. I mean, they have those special brands for a reason at Target. But this is the other thing that's crazy. Kroger is still trying to buy out Albertsons. Okay. And there are people in Washington who are fighting to make sure this does this merger doesn't happen because they're claiming that it will cause less competition, okay? Uh, here it is. It says, earlier this week, McMullen testified before senators who opposed the merger at a congressional hearing. He argued the combined company would lower food prices and improve experience for customers. As Kroger competes with grocery giants, Walmart, and newer industry players like Amazon's. Actually, correction, this is the whole quote. Kroger has faced pushback on the deal from elected officials and even its own employees who have said it would hurt competition. And then earlier this week, McMullen testified before senators who opposed the merger at a congressional hearing. You know, 
this is the crazy thing. Okay. Walmart's number one when it comes to groceries. And then this combined entity, I think if I'm not mistaken, we've talked about this in the past. We'd make it like the number four retailer when it comes to groceries. I mean, it could change a lot of the grocery industry, but it would start competing with Walmart at the end of the day. But it also seems like too that it's just funny that they don't want this merger to happen. And the fact that even Albertson's employees are saying this as well, I think it's because Albertson employees, if I'm not mistaken, they might be a union and Kroger, I don't think is a union company. I could be wrong. I'd have to look into that a little bit more. But the fact that they're objecting to it gives an idea of what might happen going forward. Now, granted, I think Kroger has to sell some assets if the merger does get approved of some of the Albertsons chains or something like that along the lines or whatever their secondary chains are. But it feels like it's going to happen. But there's other news in the grocery section as well. Okay. Reckitt expects U.S. Inf infant formula shortage until spring. It says the near-year-long infant formula shortage in the United States that prompted the intervention of the White House is likely to persist until spring, according to Reckitt, the maker of what is now the biggest brand of the market in family. Panicked parents had earlier this year emptied the baby formula aisles at supermarkets after former top U.S. manufacturer Abbott Laboratories in February recalled dozens of types of its Similac uh, Alimentum and Elicare formulas. The products made in the plant in Michigan were pulled after the companies of bacterial infections. Supermarkets like Target and Walgreens Boost Alliance were forced to limit its sales, putting pressure on Biden administration to address the crisis. The White House in May took steps to address the shortage, invoking the Defense Production Act to help manufacturers obtain the ingredients needed to ramp up supply. Supplies are yet your return to normal since the peak of the crisis in May and June. Despite the U.S. making progress in replenishing stocks and Robert Cleveland, record senior vice president, North American European nutrition, quote, I suspect that the, that the correction, quote, I suspect that will persist to some degree until spring resets, he said. When we talked about the crisis, we talk about the condition of the shelves and how they appear to, to consumers and how well the shelf meets their needs. Rival manufacturer, Grego company declined to comment while Daniel Daniel E, I think, maker of Aptimil, did not immediately respond to requests for comment. Since Abot's recall, shares of Reckitt and the infant formula market have skyrocketed, making it the number one supplier in the United States. The British company has yet to see the newfound popularity recede as Cleveland said it's just over 50% of its market has remained relatively unchanged since earlier this year. You know, I don't think it's just baby formula that's also disappearing. The other day I was at the store and I was looking to get, I think it was like a few weeks back, I was looking to get like Tylenol or something like that. And one thing I noticed is like baby Tylenol is gone. And same with like infant Tylenol is gone as well. Like it's interesting that I think this is also an effect of this as well, that with the baby formula shortage, there's also like parents who are grabbing anything that's baby related and just pulling it off the shelves. But at least, but that, that, but then again, this was at a local Albertson. So it might, where, where I'm at might be a little different compared to you, but I am curious to know if there is a shortage of like, I guess, prescription, not prescription, over-the-counter drugs for babies and infants. That would be very interesting to be able to talk about here too on this podcast, because it just seems like parents are still freaking out about the baby formula shortage. If this is true, hundred percent, but if this persists and we don't get stocks being able to be reshelved until next year in 2023. I think even says 2024 at some point in this article too, if I'm not mistaken. Nope. Pretty much until the spring of next year, but 2023, 
that means baby formula prices are going to keep going up if they can't meet the supply and demand currently right now. It's going to be interesting to see how this continues to grow. Last thing we'll talk about, in a defensive interview, Sam Backman fried claimed he broke and committed no fraud. Oh, correct, correction. He claims he's broke and committed no fraud. From CNBC, former, former FTX CEO Sam Backman fried is possibly the understatement of 2022, said Wednesday. I have had a bad month. The former billionaire added that he didn't do a good job at upholding his responsibilities to regulators, consumers, and investors in his hotly anticipated conversation with CNBC's Andrew Ross Sorkin at the Deal Book Summit. Beckman Fried's FTX imploded in mid-November after Coindesk reported in regulatories on the company's balance sheets. FTX filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in Delaware on November 11th. Quote, I didn't ever try to commit fraud on anyone, Beckman Fried said. I saw it, I saw it as... I saw it as a thriving business, and I was shocked by what happened this month. The political mega donor said he was down to 100000 and had only one working credit card left. We've completely failed on risk, Backman Fry continued. That feels pretty embarrassing in retrospect. Backman Fry appeared on a video feed from the Bahamas, Sorkin said. Quote, I have been in the Bahamas for the last year, Backman Fried said, when asked about why he remained in the island nation. Sorkin asked uh, Backman Fried what motivated his acquisitions in the crypto industry, given the size of Alameda's borrowing from companies Beckman Fried intended to acquire. Beckman Fried claimed that he believed that the middle of 2022, Alameda had repaid all lines of credit to various borrowing desks, but Alameda still owes Block Fi over $670 million, according to court filings. Block File filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in New Jersey on Monday. Quote, what are your lawyers telling you right now? Are they suggesting it's a good idea for you to be speaking? Sorkin asked the former billionaire. No, they're not very much not. The quote, the time that I really knew there was a problem was on November 6th, Beckman Fried said. After Almeida's size FTT position was exposed by Coindesk. When we looked at, there was a potential serious problem. Alameda has taken a huge hit by this point. We're seeing a run on the bank start, Beckman Fried said. I was nervous when Alameda's balance sheet was exposed by Coindesk, Beckman Fried said, but expected the damage was going to be limited to Almeida and not ex existentially crisis for FTX. Sorkin asked Bachman Fried why FTX and Beckman Fried had even had access to customer money. Quote, I wasn't running El Medina. I didn't even know exactly what was going on. I didn't know the size of their position, Beckman Fried said. A lot of these things I've learned over the last month in the days leading up to bankruptcy. New leadership at, at, at FTX said that Beckman Fried exercised significant control of the entire empire. Sorkin pressed Beckman Fried on it on El Medina's gambling on questionable cryptocurrencies, reading a letter out loud from an investor whose life savings of $2 million. Quote, the U.S. platform is, is fully solvent and funded. Beckman Fry claimed, quote, I believe withdrawals would be opened up today and be made whole. You know, it's kind of embarrassing that this is happening. I mean, it caused a huge crypto market to crash pretty much. And there's a lot of people that are coming out and saying like, yeah, like I will never invest in crypto again. I think Kevin O'Leary recently said that recently, which is interesting. But it's one of those things where I had mentioned this recently. There was a lot of SPACs that went public in last year. And obviously those SPACs didn't make money. I don't know how many of them were actually crypto funds at the end of the day. But I mean, the whole interview, I mean, you can watch it. I mean, I don't really have an opinion on the interview. I watched some of it and I just feel like it was a guy who just didn't know what he was doing at the end of the day. A young person who didn't know what they were doing. 
And this is probably going to be one of those case studies that's going to be talked about a lot in the future going forward. I mean, I personally believe that will happen. I mean, that's the risk you take when you invest in young companies at the end of the day. I mean, I'm a firm believer in crypto still. This isn't financial advice, obviously, because I think crypto is going to be somewhat part of our futures. The question becomes which crypto coin survives the longest at the end of the day. I mean, you would expect something like a Bitcoin to survive because Bitcoin, it's like the original coin. I mean, you're always going to have people who don't trust using dollars at the end of the day. But this whole investigation, I mean, I feel like there's more to come for this article when the time comes. And who knows how many more interviews they're going to do with him. But I'm curious to know if he's going to show up in court anytime soon. The last thing we need to talk about, though, with the crypto markets, too, it says crypto exchange Kraken lays off 1,100 employees. Kraken, one of the world's largest crypto exchanges, is laying off about 30% of its headcount, or 1,100 people. In order to adapt the current market conditions, co-founder and CEO Jesse Powell said Wednesday. Powell wrote in a blog post that slowing growth promoted macroeconomic and geopolitical factors and muted customer demand, lower trade volumes, and cut signups. Quote, we have grown fast. Quote, we had to grow fast, more than tripling our workforce in order to provide those clients with quality and service they expected of us, Powell said. The reduction takes our team size back to where it was 12 months ago. Quote, I remain extremely bullish on crypto and Kraken, Powell added. Crypto exchanges have been buffed by withdrawals and regulatory scrutiny after the implosion of FTX. Sam beckman frieds crypto empire filed for bankruptcy on November 28th and was shedded several hundred employees in the, resurrect, the restructuring process. Barry Silbert's digital currency group laid off about 13% of its staff in November. Crypto.com laid about 2,000 employees in October. Kraken said it will offer 16 weeks of compensation and severance and will be extended the effect employees exercise window. You know, this is this is another layoff we can add to the list in the making. Another crypto exchange, another tech company having to lay off people. The tech industry is just going to continue to get hammered. And there's only, what, 30? Today's December 1st. So there's like 30 days left in the month. Tech's going to continue to get hammered for the rest of this year. It will be, okay? And something that we should all probably take from this lesson at the end of the day is when you invest in crypto companies, one of the ways they probably make the most money is by trading, when people make trades on crypto exchanges. If people aren't making trades, these companies aren't gonna be making money, okay? Something to think about, and this isn't financial advice, obviously, but if you wanted to, this, this is an idea. It seems like when the good times are rolling, that's when a lot of people would be trading. And honestly, because think about it. People see people making a lot of money. You'll see a lot of ads happening on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, you name it, right? And you'll see people talking about like, oh, like I was trading and I was working as a cashier person at this company and now I'm making millions of dollars a year, okay? And all honestly, I think that's the time when you start seeing more ads about trading crypto unless you've been in it for a long time, because I, I know there's probably some people who might listen to this podcast in the future who probably are traders and they've been doing it for a long time. And if, you, if you're doing that, that's good good for you. But a lot of people get suckered into it. You know, there's a story I remember. It was the first time that, Bip, that Bitcoin crashed, okay? I remember I was working with a guy at Target and I just remember he, he told me, he came up to me and he like just out of the blue, like, because at the time I used to tell my coworkers of like investing ideas. It's kind of funny. If, if I had taken those ideas back then, this podcast would have at least been like four years old at this point, but I didn't think about it at the time. But I remember I used to tell my coworkers of like what companies were doing. Cause I was reading a lot of my breaks at when I was working at target 
And I remember one of my coworkers one time came up to me just out of the blue and he was just like, he, he never talked. He never talked about any cryptocurrencies whatsoever or he just stocks in general. And just out of the blue one day, he was just like, yeah, I bought Bitcoin. And it was at that time, if you guys remember, where Bitcoin was like jumping from like 5,000 to 6,000, 6,000 to 7,000. And then it got as high of like 27,000 before it crashed. And I remember when he said that, I remember thinking, I was like, I need to stay away from crypto. It was probably one of the better ideas I've had in my day. I, I, I'm not saying I'm perfect with ideas. I've had some, I've had some pretty dumb ideas investing in the past, but I just remember that one incident right there. And I, what I learned from that experience was whatever becomes the hot topic, at least for Wall Street perspective, because that's all Wall Street was talking about for the longest time was how Bitcoin just kept jumping up in price and how all these people are making all this money. I've learned from that experience that when people are talking about something like that, that's the time you need to stay away from, from that hot trend because it's a game of hot potato at this point. And when the crypto market crashed, I just remember that, that coworker, I don't know how much he had. I don't think he had that much at the time, but I just remember looking at him just being like, I wonder how much you've lost, man. I mean, People put a lot of money into crypto. It's insane. I mean, I, you read articles all the time of people who mortgage their homes, people who put like their life savings into it because it's a, it's a quote unquote, quote, easy buck to make. There's no easy bucks to make in the market. Sometimes that's something we always tell people at the beginning of this podcast is you're not guaranteed to make money when you invest in the stock market, and even in the crypto markets as well. You got to do your research guys. But like I've said, if there's a trend that's happening and everyone's running to it, just this is, I guess, a little bit of advice right now. Stay away from it. Not financial advice. I can't give you financial advice, but learn from people's stories and you'll probably be a lot better of an investor in the long run because this crypto story with FTX, it's not going to end anytime soon. And there's going to be probably like news reports in the next few years of people talking about how they lost everything in the FTX. So... I'm curious to know how that's going to all work out when it's all said and done. So I'll leave it there. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to this segment of this podcast as we're getting ready for our second segment coming up here shortly. If you've liked today's podcast, I'd ask that you please like and subscribe to this podcast. Every like and subscription helps grow this podcast. We'll be able to keep talking about events that are happening on Wall Street. Please also continue sharing this podcast with friends or family as the word is getting out and we keep growing. And it's fun to see this podcast keep growing. So we'll be able to keep talking about the news that's happening as much as possible that Wall Street isn't or can't or be willing to talk about at times. With that being said, fellow podcast listeners, thank you so much for listening to this segment of today's podcast. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>